Hello, friends. This episode was recorded on December the 18th in Berlin, Germany. The hosts, Murphy and Marco, just want to put out the following disclaimer. In no way are we encouraging the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. The sole purpose of this conversation is for educational purposes. As always, do your own research and hope you enjoy the show. Three, two, one. We're live. So this is Murphy. I'm sitting down with Marco this morning. <laughs> and yeah, we're going to be diving into um, an interesting topic today, a topic about drugs, um, kind of our experiences through them, and nootropics, and research, and scientific literature, and a bunch of other things. Um, so, are you excited, Marco? Yeah, we just took some modafinil. Um, sorry, I had to just, just spit that out. I'm Marco, I'm Marco Vega. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about drugs, uh, hopefully on legislation, also kind of veer into a bit of nootropics and psychedelics, and maybe about the future and, and research of the field. Of course, we're not experts, but we have our respective backgrounds in relationship with the topic. But the cool thing is we just both took some modafinil. Um, for those who don't know, uh, modafinil is uh, one, of the, one of the main nootropics that if you've got a friend saying, hey, you got to try a nootropic, they, they usually go for modafinil. Um, kind of technically speaking, it is a drug that is used um, to help narcolepsy and some sleep disorders. Um, it is a dopamine reuptake inhibitor. I think that's its pharmacokinetic uh, effect, um, which, you, which, which helps the brain keep more dopamine into the system. A bit the way cocaine does, but not as intense. And that has an effect of keeping you awake for longer. Um, the U.S. military uses it. Uh, it, it doesn't. It gives its its fighter jet pilots modafinil on hand if they need to work longer shifts. And if I'm not wrong, I think NASA also gives it to their uh, their astronauts in case they need to work ridiculously long hours. Now, because of all that, the nootropics community, uh, nootropics for those who don't know, is just people who use drugs. Uh, to either enhance the performance or work longer hours. Um, you could compare it to doping in, um, in uh, the Olympics, um, but it just it helps you focus. And they're usually harmless drugs, so you can't overdose on them, you can't take too much of them, they have to be safe. Um, so yeah, we just took 50 milligrams each. Uh, so that might have an effect on interaction. <laughs> I've taken it many times, but it's the first time uh, Murphy's trying it. So uh, hopefully you'll share your experience if it yeah, starts kicking in. <laughs> I definitely will. Um, so let, let's go back for, for the yeah. viewers because I think there's a lot of words they're not going to really understand. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, so dopamine. <clears throat> what is dopamine? Uh, it, do it doesn't matter, guys. It really doesn't matter. Um, uh, it is a neurotransmitter that regulates a whole bunch of different activity in your brain. Um, dopamine is like primarily talked about in its relationship to motivation. Um, you get a kick in motivation uh, when you're kind of in a competitive environment with someone or a sport or during sex. You have a lot of motivation there. Um, but it also has a bunch of like really boring uses in the brain. Don't ask me. It's been a while since I've left university. And also the literature changes a lot, and I don't want to like right pretend. Mis yeah, um, but yeah. Also on nootropics, <clears throat> maybe I'm making this up, but I remember the story of nootropics. Us talking about this before. Okay. That um, it was first kind of introduced as the the first nootropic products because of Alzheimer's, correct? Where people were were they? It was a drug used to help people who were having Alzheimer's effects in clinical trials. And then it kind of spawned off into this thing. Hey, if what if we just start using it on people who don't have a degenerative mental illness and yeah. see what kind of effects it has on, on these people? Yeah, don't quote me here. I think that's paracetam or it's okay. one of the recetams I think was researched. Uh, it was intended to reduce um, yeah, neurogenesis. Okay. And I think, you know, same with like, you know, drugs for narcolepsy. So people who fall asleep um, out of will... It helps. It helped them stay awake for longer. But then, you know, some some smart guy was like, "Well, what if I take it? Does that mean I can stay awake for longer?" And I think the same is true for paracetam. If this is true, I could look it up, but I don't know. Waste time. Yeah, yeah. Um, if I take it, does that mean I have increased performance like the people with Alzheimer's do? And I think that's what kickstarted a lot of 
people's interest in nootropics is well healthy people can take them and they get the same effects um that's interesting mm-hmm. yeah absolutely well and then for <clears throat> also people narcolepsy if you haven't seen videos on youtube of fainting goats or other, other, <laughs> other things like that it is a a mental gen- it's not degenerative is it it's it's kind of stays consistent throughout time, but it is something where you uncontrollably can fall asleep. Yeah, um, and I've seen people. Not, I mean, it's it, it, it you know it, sometimes it's just funny. You know, you're having a conversation with someone and they just fall asleep in front of you. Um, you know, it's it is sad, except that is also funny. It has comedic effect, right? Um, but it also gets dangerous when it happens when you're on the wheel. You know, like absolutely, I know someone who cannot drive anymore and they have to exclusively take the bus because of narcolepsy mm-hmm. um, and even when they take the bus they have to set an alarm to go off when their stop where their stop is because they tend to routinely uh, go past their stop and go to the end of the line wow. um, so I mean it, it you know it is it is something that really does affect your your, your, your ability to kind of live a coherent life so does <clears throat> what we just took does it have positive effects for people who have you're gonna die (laughs) 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 um yeah so so the main effects of um of modafinil are alertness um you should you should be able to feel a lot more focused on what you're doing at the moment and for what i can tell it doesn't have to be uh mental work I've also tried it with exercise, and you're just a lot more present. Um, it does have a few costs. Um, if you have difficulty sleeping, you're one of those people, it can stay in your system for quite a long time, and you might not be able to sleep, which is one of the reasons I actually stopped taking it, um, or, or don't take it very much, and if I do, I take a much smaller dose. Um, also, you can get headaches. You know, you get the effect, it's great, and then you get a really pain in the ass headache. Um, and, 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 and at sometimes I think the next day you can feel quite tired. It okay. seems like you're using more energy. Like you're, using, you're getting access to more energy now at the cost of energy that you would have spent later. Don't quote me on how that works. That's mm-hmm. like just my subjective experience of using the drug. Right. Well, for <clears> me, you know, this is the first time I've ever taken this, but everything you just described is mm-hmm. exactly how Adderall yeah. and Vyvanse work. It's similar. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, I don't know, I've had many years of experience taking that. It's yeah. extremely popular in the yeah. States, especially in university circles or working circles. It's just a huge... It's it's doping, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you do... It's like one of those things with, with anything that you're putting in your body, like the, to mitigate effects and stuff, like drinking plenty of water, yeah. still eating healthy, because a lot of times when you take stuff like this, you're not hungry, so yeah. then you don't eat, yeah, yeah. and then all yeah. of a sudden you, you crash and you're out yeah. of energy. You're yeah. like, oh, yeah. what happened? Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess to... So are you familiar at all with MAPS, the organization from the States? No. Um, you mentioned the other day, but I, I think I wasn't paying attention, so treat me like an ignorant ignorant <laughs> listener. Fill me in. Okay. Um, so yeah, so MAPS is a multidisciplinary um, organization that studies the, that is kind of on the, on the front edge of what is happening with marijuana and psychedelic drugs mm-hmm. in a clinical sense. Mm-hmm. So like what scientists are studying, which drugs and which effects, um, also on an education sense. Yeah. Um, and also on a working with government officials and working to de- um, Demystify? Yeah, not, but more of like scale down the sanctions against these drugs. So, for okay. example, taking them from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2 sure. um, based off of this clinical research. Sure. Um, yeah. And yeah, they, they've had a lot of interesting stuff. Um, they have a podcast, they have a website, um, they're based out of California. And, like, for example, one of the things that researching them the other day, that it has been passed in legislation that in 2022 um, the U.S. will open its first psilocybin clinic. Nice. Um, so yeah. psilocybin, <clears throat> if you don't know, is the psychoactive chemical component of magic mushrooms. Um, and what they will be using this site for is PTSD, which mm-hmm. is post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very common in people coming back from war and conflict. Um, it can also be seen in children in very traumatic um, situations. 
it is a very paralyzing mental health disorder that a lot of people are affected with. Um, and there's, yes, there is other treatments and stuff, but the clinical research showing so far on using psilocybin is extremely, extremely positive. Yep. Um, they've had really, really good <clears throat> results. Um, so it will be interesting to see when that starts rolling out um, mm-hmm. and seeing what these drugs that have been demonized or said that they had no medical benefit and kind of seeing where they're going up and down because it's you know it's like we talked about earlier today it's different border to border yeah, um, yeah. what is illegal why it's illegal why it's legal yeah well i mean there's, there's no kind of consistent you know cross the board argument for why you know some drugs are legal some are not i mean i'm never going to forget um I'm, I'm bad with names, so, you know, you're going to have to we can maybe cut it and insert a clip later on or remember this person's name. <laughs> but there was um, a researcher in the UK who had to step down from, I think it was a government researcher, because he was making the claim that drugs like alcohol and tobacco are more dangerous than cocaine, marijuana. And I think he was looking at um, deaths and effects on the family. And, you know, this was kind of research-backed, and because he was producing this, I think the, the, the British government, you know, we're talking maybe eight years ago, got rid of him for saying that. Um, and, you know, I, I think a lot of people who do... And I think that's, that's, that's correct. I think, I think the way we've gone about legislating which drugs are legal, which are illegal, isn't, isn't very consistent. It's like... I would love there to be... Um, like there's a kind of rule of thumb that as a society we agreed on that goes well look you know if, if a number of people are dying because of a drug above this threshold then we um, make a drug illegal or if it has this kind of effect on the family then we make it illegal and if it doesn't then it's fine for use but we don't have like a, a consistent um, kind of like rule of thumb on how to go about when we make something illegal and it seems to be very much based on the whims of whoever's in, in power or just historical conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I think it's, I mean, the, the argument against alcohol versus other drugs, for example, um, is, it's a pretty, it's a pretty tough argument. I can't, I'm, I want to say the guy's name is Nutt. I've heard of that. That's it, David Nutt. David you got Nutt. him. Yeah. 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 That's who I thought you were talking about. Yeah, David Nutt. And yeah, it's super interesting to hear his story. I mean, all his research was empirically based, yeah. and it was very strong case. And I mean, there's a lot of money behind big, big um, industries and yeah. stuff. So <clears throat> yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of yeah. how all this stuff shakes out in the future. Yeah. But yeah, and I don't know. I just wanted to bring this up. Maybe it's interesting for listeners or not. Um, but. So, like, a lot of people, when they think about drugs, like, I, I feel like they have a really unclear picture of the history of drugs. Right, okay. Um, so, for example, like, all right, something like magic mushrooms, like what I was talking about earlier, psilocybin. Well, like, how long has this been around? Like, how, how long have been people been talking about this, doing research, blah, blah, blah? Um, well, in 1961, um, on the front cover of Time magazine was the the search for the magic mushroom. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a man from the States, can't remember his name either, but he went down to the mountains of Oaxaca in, in Mexico and found these indigenous villages there that had been using magic mushrooms for ceremonial purposes, for rite of pa- passages when you become uh, a member of society and mm. medicinal uses, things like this, mm. for at least hundreds, if not thousands of years. Mm. Um, and yeah, like after this Time Magazine thing, then pop culture started happening. Apparently John Lennon even went down to the mountains of Oaxaca. And um, a lot of research had been happening in the 50s in and around psychedelic drugs. Um, well, what happened in the late end of the 60s, um, kind of the war on drugs really started kicking in, um, and a lot of research on psychedelic substances really started to grind to a halt. Um, it made Some of them made it into the 70s, but especially by the 80s, with, with Reagan as president of the U.S. and stuff like that, there was no, like, it was extremely taboo, like, you couldn't talk about it, you couldn't, there was no research happening. Um, and yeah, I mean, there was, there's all sorts of crazy, <laughs> crazy uses of, like, for example, people can, can fact check this. I've, I've, I've researched this. So, like, the CIA, they did a, a study with LSD and spraying it airily into a small village. Mm-hmm. Um, and the village, of course, just went crazy. 
But, I mean, people have been experimenting with these things. I mean, that was over 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. And it was super crazy. A couple of people have died um, during... Uh, is that true? I mean, the, I don't remember reading that kind of... The U.S. military would, like, put it in each other's coffee to just, like, just fuck with each other. Yeah. yeah is that true? That I, is true. They, they did spray it on a village of unknowing people. Was right, it Like, yeah. hey, we're going to do this thing. Like, right, right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they, I mean, they've done all sorts of... Just, just to like take your intuitions here, because I don't have a, I don't have a narrative. But why, why the war on drugs? Do you? I think you read into it a bit more than me. But why did the world turn against using drugs other than you know tobacco and alcohol so vehemently? Um, I think several different reasons. For one, um, bad shit can happen when you take drugs. Absolutely. Um, so I think some people, they had some really crazy experiences. Also, like seeing, you know, let's say you're, you, you and your family are walking down the street and you see a bunch of young people like tripping out on mushrooms mm-hmm. and just walking around and being, being super animated and can be somewhat frightening. So I think certain things like that happened as well. Um, so it's just very weird and we don't understand it. Yeah. And yeah. A huge part of it was a lot of dis-misinformation, mm-hmm. um, to be honest. Like, I think that a huge part of it was the tobacco and the alcohol industry. Um, uh-huh, they didn't want competitors. They, yeah, because, you know, they, they had the market s- sewn up on what drugs are right. legal and what drugs are illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, drugs have a really interesting history. I mean, for example, people, most of the listeners may know this, but Coca-Cola used to have cocaine in their Coke. Um, so it's, you know, drugs have been used and experimented in a lot of different ways. Um, yeah, I mean, you can also see like cocaine was sold as uh, medicine. You could, you could buy it off the counter and it was said to cure Lots of different things. It's Heroin as well. No. Opium. I mean, it's... I mean, I don't know if this is true, but like, there's a picture of an ad for heroin. It was like, you know, a mother spooning some heroin to a child. Um, you know, today it was like, what the fuck? But that was, you know... Yeah, exactly. That was normal. For sure. <clears throat> and that's the thing with like, with opium. Like, so for example, let's take opium. Like, why did that drug, why was it used... So opium was first used in the U.S., I know for sure, as a pain deterrent. So you go into the hospital, you're in a shit ton of pain, they give you opium. Well, what also happens is we didn't really know a lot about dependency at this point. (laughs) You know, like the pain keeps going up or going down, we keep giving you daily allotments of opium. Well, when you leave the hospital, you're fucking addicted to opium. So then you're rummaging the streets looking to get your your fix again. Um, So I think... To long answer to your question, a huge part of why the war on drugs really happened was kind of like a a push by the alcohol and tobacco industry as well of kind of the general public really not understanding what these substances are and being a bit scared. Or scientists knowing exactly what they are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, but because I think I think there's a um there is a view um often within like liberal circles including myself until relatively recently that just goes um it is ridiculous that we ever had the war on drugs um you know they're trying to control us tell us what to do obviously alcohol and tobacco are like more damaging and you know we've got all these you know lobby groups and somehow it is bad that governments are trying to tell us what to do in this area and i think until recently i was like yeah man like you know why you know, and especially when a lot of people have what I would call very positive experiences on, on drugs. Um, you know, myself, nootropics and otherwise, you know, I've had some really interesting, you know, sitting down, um, smoking some marijuana and just like thinking about things that are on your mind. Like this is incredibly useful. Um, I've had some like genuine kind of like aha moments in doing that. Like, you know, this is not a story I tell lightly, but my transitioning from someone who is religious to someone who is like an atheist. Now, it happened after smoking a joint. And that doesn't mean there wasn't a bunch of processing beforehand. But in that moment, it kind of like all collapsed together. It's like, oh, huh, that's the world I'm kind of piecing together now. It all makes sense. Um, and would have that happened without the drug? Probably. Um, but was it definitely facilitated by, you know, 
shifting the mind in such a way that allows for different types of connections to happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so in that sense, I want to say there are like huge benefits to, as you're saying, like using some of these drugs. So when they have these positive experiences on the drugs and then they see that they're illegal or even worse, um, the story you're told about how bad they are doesn't turn out to be true when you then experiment with them and then you distrust them as an entire engine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're left with a deep cynicism. Mm -hmm. and, and that's like one perspective that I really sympathize with that I've had for a long time and I still to some extent have. But there's a new version of me that's emerging that's saying something like, you know what, it makes sense. Like, you know, we suddenly had access to all these drugs. Nobody fucking knew how they work or what they're doing. Suddenly people are dying over here or people are having, you know, uh, maybe, you know, daughters were being raped because of use of drugs. And then they're using specifically by some communities over others. And if you're a legislator, it's like, look, we can't contain this. We have no idea how this works. Alcohol, tobacco been around for a long time. We know the limits. We know how to legislate them. They're like, not safe because the drugs are intrinsically safer, but because we know how to handle them, you know? And, and when you're dealing with something that you don't know how to control, like, of course, ban it, legislate it, you know, do something about that. So I want to have sympathize with, you know, you know, what to do when a drug gives you a religious experience. Like if you take, you know, LSD or mushrooms, then it's like, oh my God, I'm connected to the universe. Like how, what do you do with something like that? Like, you know, I... Yeah. <laughs> certain thoughts and experiences it's like the felt presence of the human experience and how do you translate that into the the reality after the experience right how yeah do, and that's that's, ext <clears throat> that's extremely extremely hard to do yeah um but also i think that the, leaving an experience as just an experience can have a lot of benefit as well. Mm. Um, at least for me personally and, and my experiences with LSD and mushrooms and stuff. Um, there, there's been some experiences that I've had that I couldn't translate back to mm -hmm. this, this world. But, but they were still very important for me. I mm -hmm. still feel like I gained a lot of insight into myself, into the world. Can, can I push you here? Like, can I, can I open that a bit? Like, I think some listeners who maybe don't know what you can learn from drugs would love to hear... Uh, you know, maybe you don't want to talk yeah, to me, maybe it's yeah. too intimate, but, um, no, no. Sal, you know, help me understand what you have learned about yourself or the world that you think drug use has facilitated. Okay. That uh, would have been more difficult or impossible to learn without it. Mm-hmm. Um, First, I want to say we'll definitely have a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> uh, we and we don't have to go here, by the way. Like, yeah, uh, no, no. But the, first, the, dis the disclaimer that we'll leave in the middle of this episode is sure. that um, with all drugs, you need to do your own research. Um, you need to really dive into literature on this and talk to a lot of different people and don't listen to what any one person says about drugs and decide that, hey, I'm going to try anything. Yeah. Um, this is not about encouraging anyone to take anything. This is just our conversation of experiences that we've had. So to say that, um, yeah, so I, th I think drugs have really played a big part in my life. It's, it sounds super <laughs> weird even to say that. Um, but yeah, I mean, background, a little bit of background on me. I mean, I was... Grew up in a very conservative home in the middle of nowhere, Texas, and was homeschooled until the like sixth or seventh grade. And I'd never done really. Well, I'd smoked. The first uh, drug I ever smoked was called Spice. If if people have taken that before, it's like I'm. I'm What's Spice? I've never heard of. It's a synthetic marijuana. Okay. Um. So basically, a lot of companies in the states, what they've done for the past ten or fifteen years, is mm. play this little um, cat and mouse game with the FDA. Mm. So it's like, all right, we change one molecular molecule. Now it's not illegal. Now mm -hmm. we can sell it in all these bong shops and head shops. And then mm -hmm. as soon as the FDA is like, oh, they're selling this. Now it's illegal. They change the molecule again. Blah, 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 blah. Got it. Yeah, it's an arms race. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so I mean, for me, some experiences is, yeah, I would say like marijuana especially opened up kind of my thinking to the world and mm -hmm. like how... Um, what does that mean, opening up your thinking to the world? Like, yeah, so that means like, all right, so we all have a, a, a contained perception of what the world looks like. Yeah. Um, so when, sometimes when, when you take, you smoke a joint or have a conversation with someone, you have an aha moment. So what is an aha moment? It is, for example, 
um, me being able to to realize a particular possibility that I didn't know was possible before. So to get to actually say what that is would be, for example, um, what is an experience that stands out? Yeah, like almost that everyone. So it was the, the, when did I first smoke pot? It was the very first day of university. Um, <laughs> it was, I don't know, it was like after, it was like my, my roommate and one other guy and like we went to, like we were at these parties and it was late at night and I remember like smoking weed that first time. I was like, holy crap, this is like what a completely different life experience is like. Like you doing these drugs and hanging out with these people and just, you know, my, my world was opened because I had grown up in such a small place where you'd not really have these influences of the world to like, holy crap, this person grew up here and he, this is what their life was like. And it was just like, wow, this is, and that was such a smaller microcosm that got me like on the path where now I'm living where I'm living and living the lifestyle I'm living. I'm, I'm going to keep on pushing you. Yeah, like that's yeah. interesting. But what about that interaction with that group of people wouldn't have been possible Without marijuana. Empathy. Um, empathy. I, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I'm just going to say I don't believe that. Like, okay. surely there's been groups of people that have made friends at university and did not need uh, marijuana as, as, a, as a bonded, binding... Yeah, know, binding agent. A social binding agent, yeah. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, so, so, so... I'm being intentionally harsh here. I really right. want to... Drill down. What is it? The thing that you gained from from? I have my own answer, by the way, but I want to I want to okay. hear yours. Um, so the thing that I gained from so 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 just to clarify a bit. So you're you're specifically wanting to know what what about this drug allowed the experience to be memorable, and what was this memorable experience specifically? I mean, may, maybe I'm actually looking at something. What was useful about it? Like because I think a lot of people's intuition about a lot of drugs, it's like it's just. It's it's it, it's this it's just hedonism, you know. Like when they think of drugs, it's like it adds no value to your life, other than it feels good. It's like the equivalent of jacking off with your brain. It's kind of mm -hmm. like no one has a ham moment while jacking off, um, but it feels good at the moment. Um, it, it's usually just an indication of escapism. Um, there's just something sad and lonely about it. And if you do it with friends, it's you're all like somehow mentally ill. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not saying I believe that, but I think that is a a standard view of what a lot of these drugs are. Mm -hmm. And I think to respond to that, I, I tend to look for arguments that say, no, it's useful. Like it genuinely helps you see the world in a way that is useful. It helps you understand yourself in a way that is useful. So what I'm trying to push you at is like, in which way was it useful other than hedonism, um, other than making some friends, you know? Right. So how is it useful? Um, so more than just like, making friends, I think it allowed me to kind of connect to myself mm -hmm. and connect to how, um, kind of like the time and place I was at. So I'm trying to think of more of a specific example. So just to be honest, this was like eight years ago and, <laughs> and I, I haven't talked about this in probably at least four or five years. So yeah. that's why it's, it, I'm not specifically trying to yeah. hold something back. It's just kind well, of okay. maybe, I mean, maybe you want to explore a different drug or a different experience where you can definitely tell me like this was useful. Um, yeah, well, I can I can talk about the first time I took magic mushrooms. Sure. Yeah, um, I mean, so if you're comfortable talking about it. Yeah. So this was because <laughs> <laughs> his body language doesn't. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, cowering in the corner. Uh, so yeah. Okay. So the first time I took magic mushrooms was happened to be also in the mountains of Oaxaca, um, in this tiny little town called San Jose del Pacifico. Yeah. Um, and I went with a group of eight people. Um, only one person had taken them before and all seven of us were taken for the first time. Um, so we're in this place, blah, blah, blah. We, we have a mushroom tea and then we go out for our journey through the mountains and the forest to have this kind of shared experience. Um, and yeah, I mean, we were literally from all over the world, um, from Denmark, England, Australia, Germany, the States. Um, and yeah, this experience, um, I didn't have like, it wasn't strong enough psychedelic experience where it was, I would say completely ego dissolving. Um, if you, it, ego dissolving is really, 
really hard to explain if you've ne- even if you have experienced it, especially if you haven't. Um, so this one wasn't ego dissolving, but I the 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 colors of the world. Basically, what it made me see is that, um, and made me then research later on is that basically every the light that enters our eyes is is transmitted in our brain and it what the image that we see is actually a constructed version of reality it is not the exact reality we see and what able to see through taking magic mushrooms for the first time like Mm -hmm. different sides of reality Mm -hmm. whether it's colors whether it's images um just just to like make sure i understand like so taking magic mushrooms helped you understand to what extent reality is actually perception or like a hallucination built by your brain is is that a fair way of saying yes so it helped you become aware of what is perception and what is reality Mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay go on um and so yeah i mean it was and it was to be honest it was really really fun like like we were i don't think i've I laughed that hard before. <laughs> like it was one of those where you laugh so much during the day yeah, that the yeah. next day your face is sore. Yeah. Your face is yeah, sore yeah. from smiling yeah. and laughter. Um, and other like personal insights. Like I mean, I remember walk, wandering off in the forest for a few minutes and just sitting by myself and just feeling, you know, that very stereotypical feeling everyone says, super connected to everything, but also felt more myself I would say than I've I feel under a lot of circumstances and context mm-hmm. was able to connect with the emotions that I was feeling at the moment mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was mostly happiness and joy and um, laughter mm-hmm. and um, yeah if that long long answer does that satisfy or do I, you need to keep partially I mean okay. I'm not gonna push anymore like maybe maybe I'll come in and maybe I'll share some of my experiences so that we're both on the table here um, I mean yeah, I agree with everything you're having. I sympathize with it a lot. And I think half of that is definitely, it feels good. Um, the drugs that we take tend to activate certain reward circuits in our brain. And it makes it, you know, you, you release kind of hormones and neurotransmitters that you would otherwise only experience under very specific circumstances. So cocaine is a good example of this. It's like, you know, y- your brain is in a cocaine-like state when you win at something. Um, and usually your brain, like, saves that, that state for when you actually win to kind of keep you rewarded and motivated to pursue things. Um, but what you can do with cocaine is you can like force it to release that state when you're not winning at all. Um, on, on the nice side, that's great. You get to feel like a winner at will. On the negative side is um, you didn't have to work to win. And that can be dangerous because, you know, you're kind of tapping into a circuit that is meant to be saved for training you in a certain way. Um, so, so in that sense, like the hedonism makes sense. But again, I, I'm really, I'm, I want to explore the torture usefulness. So let, let me come in on the table if that's okay. Um, so my, my background with drugs is, um, is a bit of a weird one. Um, so I, I grew up in Peru and uh, I have a, a very hippie kind of spiritual family. And uh, they were interested in ayahuasca. Um, so we would go to like on, on ayahuasca ceremonies with, with shamans. Um, I think I did it for the first time when I was like 12 or something. And I, I must have done it like maybe uh, 20 times in my teenage years. So I had access to psychedelic drugs from a really young age. And um, I know I've had this conversation with my parents, like half of me is like, what the fuck were you guys thinking? Um, that was, uh, I think in some sense, damaging because my young brain didn't understand what the hell I was experiencing. Not to mention that the meta purpose of going to the shamans was was a spiritual endeavor. It was about uh, dealing with past lives, connecting to God, um, and some kind of project of self-discovery. Um, so some of those are what I would call woo, kind of metaphysical claims that have no place in reality or science. You know, just just in case I'm boring, like I'm super ingrained in science right now, super atheistic. I, I try and see those experiences through the lens of a, of a scientific mind frame. I don't believe in past lives, but back then, as a young mind, here, take this drug, you're gonna experience your past life. You know, you're gonna believe that shit, and and then when you come out of that and go back to school, like that's that's really confusing, right? Because you suddenly have this sense in which there's this real metaphysical world out there that you experience through drugs, and then there's like this kind of fake, boring world every day. So. Um, don't give drugs to kids. I don't think it's worth it. But 
I will talk about the benefits as well because I think I think what drugs do do that I've repeatedly experienced throughout the years of trying different substances is give you an incredible degree of mental flexibility and I think it forces you and helps you to see situations differently and and this is particularly useful for me at the peak of being depressed when um, I was I was very miserable I wasn't happy it was I didn't have a lot of friends um, I didn't feel like my life had a lot of purpose and I kind of was trapped in a very particular way of looking at the world from like both a moral perspective um, and intellectual perspective and you know taking something LSD um, not even a very huge amount just like it just forced me out of my thinking patterns and then you know like mushrooms it just this is what your perception of the world is that is different to what the world is you know like uh, the hallucinations I had during the LSD were like literally interacting with um, Pokemon <laughs> and and ants. I mean, and, and like I never got to the point where I disconnect. I didn't have the dissolution of the ego, although I know what that's like. I never got to the point where I didn't know I was hallucinating. You know, so like I'm picking up these ants. I can feel them in my hand, but I also knew they weren't there. And for someone who like studied a bit of psychology and philosophy, especially philosophy of perception, like, that was fucking crazy for me. It's like holy shit. This is like what the future VR is going to be like one day. Mm-hmm. You know. Um. And also that during that state, I could really look at my life and the things I was doing in it from, let's say, a more positive perspective. Or could I could like, I could I could like sit down and really observe my depression, the states, and the way I was thinking, almost from a bit of a distance. And I really had a few moments where I kind of noticed, I, mean, I don't actually have to think this way. Or maybe the thought was like, oh, actually, uh, there are different ways in which my brain can look at the situation I'm in right now. And that's a degree of mental flexibility I didn't have, like, just hours or days before then. Although I was exploring the territory, of course. Um, but but I, I genuinely think that was, like, maybe the tipping point at when suddenly my well-being started kind of going upwards. And I'm not going to give all the credit to, you know, LSD here. Like, obviously, therapy and a bunch of other things. And, you know, another drug we can talk about, SSRIs, which is, you know, it is a drug. And it's very useful, I think, if you're suffering from uh, anxiety or depression. Um, but being aware of what about the world is your perception and what isn't, like you had with psilocybin, I think that's incredibly useful. And I think more people should, uh, again, not to encourage people to try drugs, but to think about, you know, what is it about your culture that is real and what is just your culture? Or what about your ethics is real or just your ethics? Or your model of relationships or your model about well-being or your, what about your, your relation with your job and meaning? To what is it, the, the way you're thinking about it and to what extent is that actually what's going on in the world? I'll shut up, but yeah. That's no, fine. no, that was awesome. Um, yeah, you were just able to keep getting to the point without me having to push <laughs> <laughs> Like, you had to push me. Um, but yeah, I, I think to to tack on to a little bit of that, um, the, the patterns of thought that we all have mm-hmm. can be positive and can be very negative. Yeah. Um, and I think exactly what you were saying, like with your personal experience with being in a very depressed state, having the option to try something to just change that pattern of thought, even if it's ever so slightly, Yeah. to break out of this pattern, to see the light at the end of the tunnel, to see the, the greater whatever, um, is, is a very impactful and can be a very powerful thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's good for, also for people in, in no matter what, what stage they're in, like we need to soberly and through the assistance of other things, if you so choose, to, to, to think about these things, mm. to, to change our perceptions mm. of reality and cultural structure, societal structure, and importantly, internal structure. Mm. Because as we've talked about on an earlier podcast, like we have all these different internal voices going on inside of us um, that are telling us to, to smile, to hug, to rape, to murder, to start a revolution, to become a corporate blah 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 and it's just all of those voices are inside of us and Mm -hmm. it's a a wrestle and a battle that we do and um, now I will shut up talking (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah and and to tap onto that a bit um, if you look now to to bring this back into like so so I think the world is changing a bit and and like you pointed out with, with this organization there is the world is moving a bit more into allowing for a space in which these drugs under certain clinical conditions can be maybe seen as useful. And uh, I, I'm not up to date with literature, 
um, back when I was at university, the kind of the latest one was uh, using MDMA for um, uh, for PTSD. Mm-hmm. And, and like the trials that were going on at the time were just being super useful, super effective. Um, and at the time is also when I started taking SSRIs. Um, SSRIs are antidepressants. Um, what they do is they selectively, well, actually, I won't even go into that. Uh, they keep a bit more serotonin in your system. And, and serotonin is largely linked with well-being, warmth, social, kind of social connectedness to others. Long story short, they, they make you feel a bit happier. And for anyone who's tried MDMA, they know exactly what that feels like in high doses. Um, you know, SSRIs and MDMA, I think, feel similar, but they're just on the other extremes of the spectrum. You know, like MDMA is like, woo, everything's great. I'm so happy. The world is amazing. SSRIs is a uh, thing of just a little bit less bad. And that's kind of nice. And I'll take advantage of that. Right. Um, and and what, what was amazing about having a bit more serotonin in my system on, on SSRIs was I could think about difficult memories in my past without it being as painful. It was still painful, but it was less painful. And if I want to rethink or like have a new perception or like if I want to change the way I'm thinking about myself and build a new story for who I am, I need to look at them. I need to like reinterpret them. I need to change them. Right. And I think that the sad thing about trauma uh, and I I don't know what PTSD is like. I'm not even going to go in there other than to say, I I think you can unravel it by observing it and, and engaging with it and changing it. And I'm not surprised that MDMA therapy that uses MDMA to allow people to talk about difficult experiences under a substance that make those the memory of those experiences less painful works. Like I'm not surprised for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I think of the climate on drugs, I think it's really sad that there are these bunch of really useful uh, substances out there that can really help people. Um, that aren't doing so. And when I started taking SSRIs, um, you know, I had a lot of friends who looked at me like in a weird way, like, oh, you know, you're taking drugs as antidepressants. And I, and I also had a sense in which, you know, taking drugs was in some sense wrong. But it's nice that things are shifting. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <clears throat> well, also to, to add a little bit of history and context to MDMA, yeah. um, when it was first invented... You know, it was it was used in a psychoanalytical scenario um, a lot. So it was also... Both this was Shulgin, right? Or am I mixing... Um, no, it's not. Yeah. No, go on, go on, go on. I should yeah, uh, but it's... So, for example, the, the name that it was given at first was E. Mm-hmm. E for empathy. Um, and it was used under a psycho... It wasn't E for ecstasy? Really? It was E for empathy before no. it became E from ecstasy. Wow. Um, okay. So it has a scientific clinical research background because it was given to patients mm. and I'm personally I'm a bit I don't know it does kind of I can see the how it could go very wrong mm. bad people can give someone something like e and empathy even in a safe clinical um, situation and things could go very bad mm-hmm. I, I can mm-hmm. so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm very aware of, of, mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. that is what the original use was it for is to get people to open up about traumatic Mm-hmm. situations mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. the past pain they're dealing with mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. to talk about it to then explore it get a better perspective or understanding of it and move forward mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. in dealing with that so it's that's just to give a little background to a, a drug that most people have heard of but also a little history of what it's been used for also mm-hmm. um, but if I actually have an idea for a topic to jump into to connect all of this. Yeah, shoot. Your favorite thing in the world, transhumanism. Oh, God. Um, Uh, Yeah. Okay, let's go there. Yeah. So give me like a 60-second rough overview. What is the the ideas and thoughts behind this theory, transhumanism? Um... I mean, transhumanism, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a mutant, it's a bunch of different ideas kind of loosely sewn together under one banner. Um, there are a, a, a few areas of thoughts that are um, interested in ways in which we can use modern technology to improve humans over and beyond their current abilities. 
the theory is largely less on like, look, natural selection through about a, 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 a homo sapien, a human being, it has a kind of a limited amount of intelligence, strength. It's got a, you know, we found an upper limit of how long human apes can live. Um, and then the idea is like, well, look, kind of, you know, we seem to be able to uh, improve humans in a bunch of weird ways. Uh, you know, let's, let's talk about things that we all already sympathize with, like um, uh, taking um, vaccinations, you know. You could say that this is an improvement on what was naturally there. Like we're kind of inducing some degree of immunity. These are like humans with vaccinations somehow. And I know there's some people that disagree that vaccinations work, yada, yada. But, you know, for most of us, like this is better. Um, you're wearing glasses. You could say, that, well, look, you know, we found a way to like improve the vision of, of kind of you know, naturally decaying eyesight. Um, yada, yada, yada. So so I think, I think the philosophy is really like, well, how do we take that further? Like... What would it mean if we can maybe live forever? Like, what if we can like really target the part of the human body that is degenerating every minute of every day and stop that clock? Um, or what if we can uh, reorganize the brain either with drugs or with kind of I don't know neural implants or you know additional computers or external computers that can radically increase our IQ like what, what if we found a way a drug that increased the IQ of the entire planet by 50 points um, and really think of it like that's actually it's a really fascinating way to think um, and and you can also think about say something like well-being like well what if you know like you know I'm not saying MDMA is the best well-being drug I mean a lot of people enjoy being on it but what would happen if we could like radically improve people's daily well-being so that that's what they experience? Um, and, 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 and like, you know, for the skeptics, like there's always like, well, you know, we, it's dangerous to fuck with things that we don't fully understand. I'm like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, let's be super careful about this. Um, you know, like a lot of the proposed interventions are like genetic engineering, for example. It's like, right. you know, there are some genes that are associated with higher IQ some genes that are associated with having a predisposition to some cancers and other diseases. Um, how about uh, every time, you know, we have a child, we kind of insert the intelligence gene and kind of remove, if we can find it, the, the cancerous genes. Right. And then slowly, kind of that way, kind of improve the human condition um, mm -hmm. systematically. And of course, you know, there's a bunch of dangers there. We don't always know what, we're, what issues we'll get down the line. But that's the bubble of thinking. Okay. So, um, so for example, are you familiar with CRISPR at all? Yeah. Um, so, a transhumanist perspective could be that, hey, let's use CRISPR. So, if you don't know what CRISPR is, it is a protein editing gene um, that, I, when I've seen it explained, it's almost imagined like scissors. Yeah. And they go in and they can, and this is a natural occurring process within the body. So then they go in and they, they cut and splice protein strands together. So basically you find this scissors of, of the protein and you instruct it in a way to do what it would normally would do, but in a way you want it to do it. So for example, cut out this gene. You already were going to cut a gene, little CRISPR person, but now you're going to cut this gene because we've instructed you to do yeah. it. Is that more or less correct? Uh, it works, yeah. Okay. I, I'm not an expert on either, but yeah. It allows you to basically insert genes where they wouldn't have been otherwise and cut out genes where they would have been otherwise. Right. So, for example, like I've heard this argument about, like, what, what are we going to do when we get to the point if we do start creating superhumans? Yeah. And are superhuman laws going to be different than, like, people like you or me laws? Like, you know, they're going to have these abilities that you and I don't have mm -hmm. based on genetic mutation. Like, how do we have an inclusive world where all these different things kind of start happening? People that have neural implants, like, that become superhuman in a certain way. I mean, yeah. either with, with genetic modification, with technological implants with maybe even pills that we, we do that, that yeah. can change our chemistry and stuff. Um, like, what do you say to, like, how do we make that world work cohesively together? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I'm not gonna pretend for a second that all areas of transhumanist thought bring about way more issues than they solve. Um, 
And that's, you know, what you do when people live forever. Like, what does that mean for having children? Or what does that mean for, or not living forever, what do you do when uh, you can live as long as you'd like? Um, yeah, what, what does that mean for population sizes, you know? Um, I, 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 think, I think a fun way to think about it is, um, I, I don't think, I mean, a lot of this stuff sounds radical, crazy, and new unless you look at the way we've already kind of used current technology to improve humans. So let's think of education as a great one. Um, think of the people who have gone through a systematic 12 year education, uh, plus a university degree, plus, you know, 20 years of like high school labor compared to some people in unfortunately poorer countries that have not had access to any of that and can't read. Um, and we haven't necessarily made a new set of laws for those people, but is it that different? You know, like the IQ difference between these two people will be huge, um, not necessarily naturally so, but because the environment has like, uh, you know, uh, ensured stimulated, the, stimulated the brain in such a way that they, they have, you know, even you look today and this is like, I almost feel bad saying this, but if you look at poorer countries, the average IQs are lower than richer countries. Um, you know, some people on the far right will use this as a racist argument to say that brown people are intelligent white people. That is not true. Um, <laughs> It is true, though, that education can systematically help improve intelligence. But we already have that today. It's, it's just education is like, well, it's hard. It takes 12 years or it takes whatever years. And then you end up with like two people whom the market values at radically different prices. And, you know, it took us a long time to figure out where education, should, who should get educated, when, why, and how much did it cost. The same kind of conversation will, I suspect, happen um, with these technologies. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I think I have something that, uh, like, so for like twelve-year standard education, like mm -hmm. I would say that, in in my opinion, it does it does a lot of good, but it does a lot of harm as well. Sure. And I think that like our education model in most Western countries is based on oppression model that came came about right after the industrial revolution, um, which is basically how do we mass produce education, and um, one teacher in front students in the classroom and yeah I think that like in a way like transhumanism maybe this is part of the theory or not is like almost how do we greatly improve the current systems that we have yeah yeah for sure um yeah I mean you know obviously I don't support the entire extent of the education system right but I still think it was better than what was available at the time and, you know, most of the, like, I think any young person looking at today's world institutions is like, it all seems a little bit shit. Right. It always feels like we could have done better unless we understand the context in which those institutions emerge, you know. And I think that's the role of every new generation is to look at, well, how can we make these institutions better? Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, transhumanism is like, how can we make life better? How can we make uh, it better for everyone? No one wants to die. No one wants to be an idiot. No one wants to be unhappy. And... It seems like currently the ways to do that are either expensive or difficult or quite a lot of work or, or take a lot of time. Um, can we use technology to make speed up those processes and make them easier, cheaper, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I find that incredibly exciting. I think that is, that is the way forward, um, theoretically. And again, uh, there are so many dangers with this, like, uh, you know, using Cas9, using CRISPR. Uh, you know, the, the effects of one gene aren't just the gene themselves. It's the way they interact with all the other genes around them. And this is something we just don't know how to predict. And yes, if you remove one gene, it might have this measurable effect here. But we've missed a bunch of other things. And that's the problem with things like measuring climate change or predicting the weather. It's like right. the system is so complex, we just don't know how to think about it. Right. Um, well, and there's so many questions that we don't <clears throat> Like, it's impossible to have an answer to. So, for right. example, if you CRISPR someone, what is going to happen when they produce offspring? Yep. Have, there's no way to simulate that. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's absolutely no way to know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it... But I do love, like, I would say the overall arcing theme, which is to... How do we improve the life of humans? Yeah. Which, you know, there's... And... But to do it with the intention of the care, it it might be a lot easier to make life for humans way worse than incrementally better. 
Yeah, I, I, but that's that's the way to start with. I mean, you know, most medicines that I mean, I, you know, let's go back to nootropics. I mean, you know, I I I, just, I, I started a nootropics company, um, two thousand sixteen, um, because I was excited by transhumans. Like, well, you know, there aren't a lot of ways in which we can improve human beings now using modern technology. Nootropics seemed like a low hanging fruit, kind of. Um, you know, we're on modafinil right now. Let's, we should actually bring it back to that in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this seems like an easy way that you can like improve your focus without too much effort and hassle. And if more people had access to a drug like this, arguably people would be better off. You know, I I I I like living in a world in which modafinil exists. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know, I'm not dependent on it, but it's nice that it's an option that's there. Um, but nootropics hasn't exactly been seen very favorably by, by legislation in the West. In fact, you know, since since starting the company, more countries have moved, actively moved towards making the substance illegal or prescription only um, than not. You know, in the UK, we've had a big legislation, I can't remember the name now, that kind of effectively makes every drug illegal. And yes, the government says otherwise, which is a huge shift. Right. Um, and oh, what was I going with this? Um, the tie back to modafinil and <clears throat> transhumanism. Yeah. So I, I I totally lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> it happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, while you're you're grabbing your train of thought, I can explain. So this is the first time I've ever taken modafinil. Yeah. Insert um, that. Yeah. It took it took probably about I would say thirty to forty five minutes to kick in. Mm-hmm. I did eat breakfast this morning. I didn't eat a lot. Um, and didn't have any coffee, no other, I had a little bit of tea before, but yeah, I mean, I can definitely feel, it feels very similar to Adderall, to be honest, extremely similar, um, but not as intense, like when I would take Adderall, I would kind of get like... That's a function of dose, though, to be fair, I mean, okay. I th- you know, a lot of people take 100, you took 50. Okay, but um, yeah, I, f- I feel very mentally clear, I don't feel like I'm high for example i mean high also can mean up down sideways i mean it can mean a lot of different things but yeah, yeah i i enjoy it i feel i feel a lot more focused now than mm-hmm. i did 40 minutes ago mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and i just feel like very clear like between the ears yeah yeah that's the perfect summary um the only negatives i'd say to modafinil are uh don't be in big crowds i, I think because you have a lot more attention for whatever you're doing um, you can also feel overstimulated easier. Okay. That, that's at least my. Uh, I don't like being in big social groups. Uh, I can, I, you know, if I'm working on a on a screen, on a project, or interacting with one person, my whole focus is present. Um, yeah, that, that's the only thing I'd say. But I think you've captured it. Yeah. No. Um, did you grab your train of thought? I don't even know where I was going. <laughs> Something about. Um, yeah, wanting people to have access to ways of improving themselves, um, and that's that's largely a good thing. Like you know, I, I think the history of humans' relation with technology has always been how do we solve problems. Just that for most of human history, it's been external problems. You know, how do we make this farm quicker, or how do we produce coal, and how do we make these these engines move faster? Um, there's a weird shift that's I think happening now which is suddenly we're getting adept enough to change us internally. And I think that's, that's rightly so terrifying, but also really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. Um, you know, China now saying that they used, uh, what was last week, two days ago, using CRISPR to engineer yeah. uh, out uh, genes that increase susceptibility to HIV. HIV. So the, 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 ge- the embryos that they did this to, yeah. the, the parents were HIV positive. Correct, yeah. So now, using CRISPR, the, yeah. the offspring will not have yeah. HIV, potentially. I mean, so I'm not going to... I don't know if this is true or not, by the way. Like, you know, I, I've seen a bunch of people saying, look, China is very comfortable lying about this stuff. I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to take it as true because it could be true. Uh, there's nothing, I think, within what I understand the technology can do that... Right, it's this very possible. It's, it's possible. Um, and while I think the West is screaming like this is unethical, this is wrong, um, I, I think that's the wrong approach. I, I think, I think what we should be thinking about is we have reached a point where this is suddenly possible, 
And the truth is, whichever state gets on this first and figures out how to make it a net positive intervention is going to have a more capable, healthier population. And um, this is going to create an arms race. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, like, I'm, I'm serious here. Like, um, whenever new technologies allow for competitive advantages in state-based systems, um, there is an arms race. And if states can, like, you know, states compete for good education all the time. Um, they're going to compete to have the best genes within the state all the time. And the West, or I don't want to say the West specifically, but at least like the, the Anglo-Saxon world, um, might have to deal with this idealism on this front. Like, you know, it's going to make us re-question what the self is and what kind of what it is to be a person is and identity is and whether we really are, uh, what makes us us is the random genetic dice throw of the genes our parents kind of put together. And then later on, we had a few anti-vaccination, uh, some vaccinations later on to kind of improve us or whether um, we actually selectively edit uh, the genes that your parents give you um, and that becomes who you are. Right. You know? and, and this is not an easy question to answer, Definitely. but the technology is going to force us to have to clarify that. Yeah, absolutely. One that's the thing uh, I like that you brought up the fact of arms race. So like for people around our age, we don't really remember like <laughs> to have the nuclear arms race, yeah. but that was a super present thing. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, there was kids when you were in the fifties and sixties in tons of countries where you had nuclear drills, like during school where there was times where you brought a gas mask with mm. you to school, which, you know, was not that long ago. Um, and I think that like for our generations, like it's, it's very, we don't really realize that the world was like that not too long ago. And we are in, uh, many different types of arms races right now. Artificial intelligence absolutely is an arms race. Um, gene modification, and I would say maybe a better way to put it would be biological interventionism is definitely a, an arms race, and digitalization is definitely an arms race. But it's also interesting because there's also kind of a macro trend of people. There's people moving to big cities and also a macro trend of we're doing all this more things with technology, mm. but we're also appreciating handmade and artisanal things more and more time in nature and things being green. So we've got these, these macro trends of like technological improvements and, and things along that end and also like reconnecting with things that are of the natural world and, mm. and things along that lines as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree fully. Um, Maybe um, a fun way where to take this is um, I, maybe this is just me, but like um, you know, I, I've been I've been talking about transhumanist topics for a few years, and as with drugs, as with doping, as with all this stuff, like the 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 common response is like ill, dangerous, wrong. And I sympathize with that on a whole bunch of fronts. Like this technology is terrifying. And my, my, kind of one of the key messages I want to bring out and maybe share to, you know, a hypothetical audience out there, like the, the three people that are going to listen to this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> you, know, you guys, you know, um, hey mom. Is that our instinctive ill response of this is dangerous, scary, and we shouldn't do it is actually more dangerous because the technology is not going to slow down at all. Um, and, and like the longer we reject it is the longer we don't spend learning how to live with it, you know, and I'd like to see people not rejected as that's bad, immoral, stupid, damaging, but really think we need to change and adjust our lives to these technological trends. And we either are ahead of the curve or with the curve, but by being behind the curve, so, so 
you know, I, I think we're behind when it comes to research on drugs and psychedelics, when it comes to like mental health. Like we were afraid of what negative effects could be caused by drugs. Um, but that, I think, cost years and decades of research and how we could have reaped the benefits of these technologies. Now, there's no denying that there's bad things in what I will call, I'm using here drugs as a human technology thing we've discovered in the environment that has effects on how we work and think in the same way finding an axe or like, you know, different physical technologies are. Um, it would have been nice if we like saw this thing in the world, like, okay, what's the good? What's the bad? How do we make more use of the good? Maybe before anyone else does. Mm-hmm. And, and how would you safeguard that the bad isn't as bad rather than going shit here's this thing we don't understand uh, this is this is uh, you know this is bad we should never even touch this even though some people are saying there's good things in there mm-hmm. um, that's like my, my overall takeaway when, when trying to bring about transhumanism thought to new people mm-hmm. yeah I think that's a super important thing to bring up because there, you're exactly right like if if we you, you could, some people like to, I think, romanticize, like, oh, we should just stop inventing. Well, that's never, <laughs> like, never going to happen. Like, we're not going to, we're not going to throw away all our cell phones. Like, yeah. Those days, those days are gone. Yeah. Um, so it's, all right, we have these new devices and technology. They have positive benefits. They have negative benefits. What's, how do we have more positive and less negative? And how do yeah. we... How do we learn just to, to turn things off and to take breaks and to each person is probably going to have a different individualistic experience with all of these things. So like figuring out on an individual level, all right, I, I don't need to look at a screen an hour before I go to bed because I can't sleep well when I'm Yeah, 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 yeah. And things like this. Yeah, and I yeah. think that we all... How do we all, live with it? Yeah. Yeah. We all yeah. struggle with these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to have open conversations. Yeah. And we do massive human experiments and we don't really know the effect. Yeah, I know. Like putting iPads in front of children. We don't really know what's yeah. going to happen with that, but yeah. we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. And the same thing was said about the television for yeah. that generation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Um, we should wrap up. Yeah. You have to go soon. Yeah. How long does it take to get to the factory? Uh, it's a 15 minute walk, but we should close up now. Yeah. Uh, okay. This has been fun. I've had a good time. Uh, so, so how do we tie this in to kind of close it up with, with where we started? Uh, Drugs, modafinil, transhumanism. Do you have a, do you have a neat... (laughs) (laughs) a neat way to close this out yeah I would say that um, if you're interested in this type of stuff there's a lot of research out there there's a lot of things going on definitely check out maps M-A-P-S dot org Um, they have a lot you can get on the newsletters and things like this I'm sure you have some links for transhumanism and stuff Um, and maybe not Uh, but yeah if you're interested in any of this type of stuff this is topics that are happening in the world today and these are problems and real solutions and attempts of solutions that we're trying to to combat um, kind of all the, the craziness that, that the world spits out. Yeah. Um, and and last, like with last time, um, yeah, if there's things you didn't like that we said or things that you did like, like engage with us. Um, you know, tell us where we're wrong. Uh, tell us if we changed your mind on something. Um, uh, you know, the purpose here for us was to have conversations about things that we think matter and we'd like to engage with people who want to talk about it. So yeah, get in touch. Let's keep the conversation going. Yeah. Everyone have a good night. Ciao. Cool. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you happen to enjoy this episode enough to rate, review, subscribe on whatever platform you listen to this on, we would greatly appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your day.